Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. As uh, Pastor Chris said, my name's Chuck, and I'm glad that you've chosen to join us this morning. Today, I'm going to talk about something that the majority of us do, but very few of us actually enjoy it. Hardly any of us look forward to it. Most of us complain about it, and a lot of us make excuses to get out of doing it. I'm talking about work. We're talking about work today. Do you know that 80% of us are dissatisfied with our jobs? I mean, that's a huge number. 80% of us. Some of us don't like what we do. Some of us don't like where we do it. Some of us don't like who we do it with. Then there's some of us that just don't like doing it, period. It's like the man that told his doctor he just wasn't able to do all the things around the house that he used to do. He just couldn't. So the doctor started this long and very thorough examination. And when the examination was complete, the man said, Doc, he said, you need to give it to me straight. He said, I can take it. You tell me in plain English what's wrong with me. Well, the doctor said in plain English, you're just lazy. Okay, said the man. Now give me the medical term so I can tell my wife. Listen, whether or not you like it, we were created to work. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So from the beginning, it's always been God's will for us to work. He knew. God knew if Adam and Eve would labor that they would develop these abilities and these abilities would lead to experiencing joy and the pride of accomplishment. He said, here, work the garden, cultivate it, contribute, create, produce labor, make the world around you a better place. You see, it's through our work that God does some of his greatest work. That's what we're going to talk about today. We are in the final series, week seven, here at the jar called Fresh Start. This series has been about changing the way we look at things, starting over, kind of resetting our perspectives. And today I want us to see that work is so much more than just something that we do to make money. Work is, it's more than just a place we work, it's a place that God works. And that's our big idea for today, it's this. Your workplace is God's workplace. Your workplace is God's workplace. And it doesn't matter where your workplace is. You may be a student. So your workplace is the school. You may be a stay-at-home parent, so your workplace is the home. It's the surroundings. It's the situations that that puts you in. So whether you work in a factory, an office, a hospital, whatever, your workplace is God's workplace. And there's three ways that God is at work in your workplace. And number one is this, God is working in you. God is working in you. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For God is working in you 
giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So wherever you work, whatever it is you do, the most important thing is that you honor God. God wants you to honor Him. God wants you to please Him by the way that you work, by the decisions that you make, by the way that you Treat other people around you by the way that you represent Him, by the way that you respond, even when faced with tough situations. So there's a story in uh, Genesis chapter 39 about a man named Joseph. Joseph is an Israelite who is in Egypt working for a man named Potiphar, who the Bible says is one of Pharaoh's officials. Now, technically... Joseph didn't apply for this position. I'd love to say he sold himself in the interview process. But in truth, he was sold by his siblings to a group of merchants who then sold him to Potiphar. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Now, Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 37, verse 3... It says, now Israel, now Israel, that's Joseph's father, Jacob. God changed his name to Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. So he was the baby. Verse four, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So the brothers didn't like Joseph. The brothers resented Joseph. They were jealous of him. And then in verse 5, and I want you to really listen to this and pay attention because this is important to remember today. It says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So, Joseph tells his brothers... About this dream that he has. How he is going to be somebody. He's not going to be tending flocks with them forever. Man, he's going to go somewhere. He's going to be someone. And he goes ahead and lets them know that in this dream that they're going to be bowing down to him. You can imagine how well this goes over. Especially in an already like charged environment. So they hated him even more. And they hate him so much they want him gone. Now I'm the youngest child in my family. I got an older sister, an older brother. And I definitely took a lot of abuse from my siblings. There was that Dutchman's rub that I still think was solely responsible for my bald spot. There were atomic wedgies where your underwear is actually ripped up and off, leaving welts. And then my least favorite, the uh, supercharged nitro swirly. Unlike the uh, standard swirly where your head goes in the toilet and your hair just gets wet as the toilet's flush. The supercharged nitro swirlies when your face actually gets rubbed on and around the entire bowl as the toilet's being flushed. That there is a refreshing one. Great childhood memories I got. 
But Joseph's brother, his brothers, they take things a bit further. They actually devise a plan to get rid of them. And they follow through with it. They sell them to a group of merchants that pass by as they're tending their flock. And then, to cover their tracks, they slaughtered one of their sheep. They dipped Joseph's robe in it. They took it back, showed it to their father Jacob, who then believed that he was devoured by an animal. So now, Joseph is working for Potiphar. And the Bible says he's doing an amazing job. Listen to Genesis chapter 39 verse 2. Then the Lord, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So in spite of what happened, in spite of how things had gotten to this point, man, Joseph is doing his best. He's giving it his all. Joseph is honoring God. He is pleasing God in this situation. I mean, this may not have been where he wanted to be. I mean, this didn't seem to be a part of this vision, this dream that he had. But this was where he was currently at. And he was making the best of it. And good things were happening. You see, God blesses things when we do those things To the best of our abilities. How we work is a reflection of who we are. And more importantly, how we work is a reflection of whose we are. Colossians 3 verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. And Paul, who wrote this, is saying, As Christians, we don't work for the same things as others. We don't work for the same ones as others. And we don't work in the same way as others. I bet everyone in here knows someone that just always seems to give 100% each each week at work. 12% on Monday. 23% Tuesday. 40 on Wednesday. 20% on Thursday. Maybe 5% on Friday. But you add that up, that's 100% each week. We have scripture for those people. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. You know, we may live in a society where mediocrity is commonplace, but God does not call his people to be mediocre. God calls us to be more. God calls us to do more. You know that phrase, go the extra mile? It comes from the Bible. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. See, there was a law in those days. It was a Roman law that the Roman soldiers could make you carry their stuff for one mile. But just one mile. And Jesus said, show them you're different. You do more than you have to. You exceed expectations. Like Joseph, you serve your God diligently. 
Man, even in the tough, toughest circumstances, even in the most uncomfortable situations, maybe hostile environments, you be the right thing even when the wrong things are happening. Your workplace is God's workplace. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Now here's the second way that God is at work in your workplace. God is working through you. God is working through you. Colossians 4 verse 5 says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. Now, do you know the average adult is awake? This is on average. The average adult is awake 16 hours a day. And 10 of those hours are work-related. It may be getting up, getting ready for work. It may be commuting to work. So if it's Monday through Friday, that's roughly 50 hours a week having to do with work. Where in contrast, most of us spend an hour a week at church. Less old bunch gets long-winded on us, which is possible from week to week. But what's that tell us? The most important form of ministry is not here at church. It's at work. It's in the workplace. That's why God's presence in the workplace matters so much. That's why it's so important because a third of our lives... 90,000 hours of our lifetime is an opportunity for God to use us, for God to work through us. And how does he tell us to do it? Wisely. We're supposed to use wisdom. Little Johnny, he's uh, standing in the barn with his grandpa. There's rabbits in the barn, so there's droppings all over the floor. And little Johnny looks down and he says, what are all those pellets on the ground, Grandpa? Grandpa says, well, they're smart pills, Johnny. Eat them and you'll get smarter. Well, little Johnny, he, uh, he liked the sound of that. So he scooped up a handful off the ground. He shoved them in his mouth. He immediately spits them out. He says, ugh, those taste like crap, Grandpa. Grandpa says, see, you're getting smarter already. (laughs) Wisdom. Wisdom. God is working through us in the workplace to make the most of every opportunity to minister for him. But he wants us to do it wisely. You see, there are good ways and there are bad ways. Anybody remember these knuckleheads? The Westboro... Baptist church they would picket funerals of soldiers celebrities people that died in mass shootings they'd be holding signs bullhorns telling them everybody their loved ones in hell heck of a go that next picture heck of a youth group the church got going there huh they were explicit with their signs, with their language, telling everybody to turn or burn. And you know what I wonder? If anyone ever saw them and heard them and thought, that's what I'm missing. 
I want what they've got. I want to follow their God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. You see, Jesus is saying the way to evangelize, the way to minister to someone is to show them by your actions what you believe. And when you honor God in the workplace... People take notice. I'm telling you, when they when people see integrity, when they see character, and they see you're you're working hard and you've got a great attitude, you're honest, you're encouraging. Instead of instead of putting people down, man, you're lifting people up. You see, that's what points people to God. When you look good, God looks good. People take notice telling you people take notice they see that there is something about you and then then maybe they see that cross around your neck or they notice that you're reading a devotion on break or they see that you bow your head and you say a blessing on your food at lunch and then eventually God opens a door for you to speak. It's like you've earned an opportunity for someone to listen to you. In our story, we now go to Genesis chapter 40. And we find that uh, Joseph has changed jobs. He's now making license plates for Egyptian chariots. He's in prison now. You see, chapter 39 closed with Potiphar's wife trying to seduce Joseph. And when he refused, telling her he would not do this wicked thing and sin against God, she falsely accused him of forcing himself onto her. And then he was thrown in prison. And in verse 21, it says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So again, different location, same outcome. He wins people over. He's honoring God. People are noticing. He has earned respect. And then one day, an opportunity presented itself for Joseph to speak in to someone's life. There were two men. The cupbearer for the king and the baker for the king. And they were in the area that Joseph oversees and he noticed that something was wrong. He saw that they were distraught. And because he cared, he asked them what was wrong. And they respond in verse 8. We both had dreams, they answered. But there is no one to interpret them. So notice now we have a door opening up. 
we have an opportunity for Joseph to evangelize a little, minister a little, speak into somebody's life. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. So everything we've Everything we've read to this point has been about Joseph acting out his faith. He's been uh, showing what he believes, and now he finally gets a chance to share what he believes. And he doesn't say turn or burn. He very wisely, very casually brings God into the conversation. He doesn't shy away from it. See, too many people are afraid to engage because we think, ah, I don't have all the answers. I don't have a whole lot of biblical knowledge. But we aren't called to know everything. We aren't called to do everything. We're called to be obedient. That's it. When God's working through us, wherever he has us, whoever he has us in front of, My wife, Loretta, is amazing in this area. She is great at it. She's got this like quiet demeanor about her, but God uses her to impact people all the time in her workplace. She builds these relationships. She presents herself in a way that honors God, and God works through her to like plant all these little seeds of faith into people's lives that she works around. She shares devotions. With her co-worker, she invites him to church. We've traveled to other churches and watched people that she has influenced get baptized. It's like the scriptures say, she makes the most of every opportunity and she does it in a wise way. She just lets her light shine. Her good deeds bring honor to God. She's meek. She's gentle. She doesn't go overboard. Yell and scream. At least not to them. Listen, God arranges things so we are where he chooses us to be. Our interactions with people, they have an impact on them, but it also has an impact on the kingdom of heaven. And Joseph lets the cupbearer and he lets the baker know he doesn't have the answers that they're looking for, but God does. And then through Joseph... God interprets their dreams and the cupbearer is saved. The baker, well, he gets hung the next day. It's not our job to do the saving. We can do the showing, we can do the sharing, but we can't do the saving. You know, every time we walk into a workplace, we are representing Jesus Christ. Your workplace is God's workplace. He is working in you and he is working through you. Now, here's the third way that God's working in the workplace. God is working for you. God is working for you. Now, I've said this plenty of times, but I know that... um, Christians love to ridicule the prosperity gospel. Preachers on TV that say, name it, claim it. And I don't believe that a person has to send money in to get something dipped in holy water to be blessed. If you've given your life to Christ, you are blessed. 
But to think that prosperity isn't a part of God's plan is just ridiculous to me. I mean, all throughout the Bible, it's like book after book is filled with scripture on God granting success, pouring out his favor on his people. If God doesn't call us to act average, he won't call us to be average. See, the problem is too many of us define success in the wrong ways. Our success doesn't match God's idea of success. We think it's all about worldly wealth. We think it's about possessions. We make it all about the gifts instead of the giver of the gifts. We can't get so caught up in where we want to be that we miss out on where we're at. Just because you aren't yet where you want to be, it doesn't mean that you aren't where God wants you to be. And His plan is bigger than your plan. God's plan is greater than your plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, too many people think, I can only be blessed if God gets me out of here. But God wants to bless you where you're at. You see, God can give you success no matter where you are currently at in that plan. The first story that I shared, when Joseph was sold to Potiphar, it said, and I'm quote, The Lord was with him and gave him success in everything he did. Second story I shared, while Joseph was in prison. Again it said, and I quote, The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Being sold into slavery was not a part of Joseph's plan. His dream that we talked about earlier. Being in prison was not a part of Joseph's dream, but it became a stepping stone to where he was going. Now watch this. Genesis chapter 41. We are told that Pharaoh himself has a dream. That troubles him and he calls for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt, but none of them can interpret this dream for him. And then his chief cupbearer tells him about a guy named Joseph who he had met two years earlier. So Joseph is summoned from prison 
And in chapter 41, verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And God, through Joseph, interprets this dream. And he explains that it's about seven years of abundance coming to the land, followed by seven years of a a famine like no one had ever seen before. And that this dream was given to him to prepare through the good years for the bad years. And in verse 39, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Joseph was put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And he went on to save an entire nation, including his brothers, who chapter 43, verse 26 says, bowed down before him. Listen carefully. Where you are, what you do, and how you do it matters. It matters in your story, and it matters in God's story. You dream for the big things, you honor God in the small things. And you remember that the same God who took Joseph from a prison to a palace is the same God who is working in you, through you, and for you. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's bow our heads. Or dear God, we... We come before you right now, thankful for reminding us through your word, there is a much larger purpose for the workplace than what we usually think. God, thank you for this fresh start. God, thank you for this fresh way of thinking. God, we, we want to honor you where we are. God, we want to be used by you for those who are around us. Let us be a blessing to those that we work with. Let us be a blessing to those that we have to answer to at work. Let us be a blessing to those who has to answer to us. And God, I pray that with this resetting of our work perspectives that, God, I pray that your people in here will prosper. God, I pray that we get the jobs we apply for. I pray that we get the raises. I pray that we get the promotions. Knowing that 
Our workplace is your workplace and you, God, have big things in store for us. And God, if there's anyone here today that's never made that decision to turn their life over to you, I invite them now to share this prayer. They can speak it out loud. They can speak it in their hearts. We can all say it out loud together as one. But if you're ready to be made new, repeat after me, dear God. I admit that I am a sinner and I ask for forgiveness for the things I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and was raised to bring me new life. I confess Him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to Him. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.